You're listening to Wonder Cupboard. What is science? Where does it come from? Is it a cupboard? Hello, you're listening to Wonder Cupboard. My name is Ian. My name is Elena. And what are we going to be talking about this this festive season, Elena? Oh, well, well, good way of introducing it. We're going to be talking about Christmas, because this is a Christmas episode. Yay. Yay. Jingle so, bell sound effect. Yeah. And since we are recording from my parents' house in Italy, you may hear sounds of dogs barking, Italians shouting at each other, but they're just saying hello. Uh, my dad cooking mussels and other things, such things. Yes. Yeah. It's very festive. We're recording this on Christmas Eve. Yes. And I'm going to try and paint a more festive scene than the one you've already done. I'm sorry. There are candles everywhere, cherubic uh, youngsters singing carols, wandering the streets. All over the place. You just can't move for for cherubs. Uh, Eggnog, rivers of nog. Yeah, that sounds disgusting. It does sound disgusting. Have you ever had eggnog? No. I've never had eggnog. I find it repulsive just to look at. I feel like it needs a rebranding. I think the problem is, <laughs> it, I think a large part of the problem is the name. Right. Mm. How would you call it? Uh, I would call it um, Festi Slurp. Is, is that less than So much better. <laughs> I think I have thought of a way to market it okay. to Italians. Sure. Liquid frittata. Oh, okay. Interesting. It is sweet, though. Um, liquid sweet frittata. Ah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll try that out after we've finished recording. So, yeah. So, um, we're going to talk about Christmas. And this is a podcast about science. And, you know, who loved Christmas and science? Uh, me? Sure. But also the Victorians. Ah. Ah. So, during the first half of the 19th century, it became fashionable to celebrate Christmas with sciencey things. Children were entertained with experiments published in Christmas books and periodicals. There were science-themed Christmas presents. I found uh, an ad uh, for a few of these that ran on a magazine at the time, and it included chemical recreations, insert drug joke here, an apparatus for experiment, exotic shells, ooh, uh, magic lanterns with astronomical sliders, and all of them appear to be presented in an elegant mahogany cabinet. Oh. So I, I think... A wonder like... cupboard, if you will. Oh, very nice. Mm. Yes, indeed. They were so popular that actually there were some uh, writers satirizing them. Oh, right. Like Punch Magazine, which was a popular, funny magazine, satirical Mm. magazine at the time, ran this article called Nine National Recreations. I'm not going to read all of nine of them, but uh, some are particularly good. Like number four was take a kitten, one of a kindly disposition is preferable, and place it upon your lap. Stroke it gently for a few seconds and the animal will be, will be distinctly heard to purr. This experiment may be varied by pinching its tail. Mm. Number eight. 
place the palms of your hands together crosswise and strike them on your knee. A sound will be produced somewhat resembling the chink of money. This is quite as good as having money itself. I've tried this, failed to do it in the first place, mm. and I can't find any way of making that sound with my hands. Place the palms of your together crosswise. Crosswise. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> is that what it is? That sounds just like money. Just like money. <laughs> yeah. um, number nine is my favorite. It just says, go to bed. I'm on board with that. Yeah, that's an excellent uh, national recreation <laughs> at Christmas time. Mm. Yeah, also there were pantomimes already, but at the time they were slightly more sophisticated than today's. And they would sometimes be science-themed and use special effects. One of the most famous ones was called Land of Light, also known as Harlequin Gas and the Four Elements, which was about gas lamps. It was set in a mine and described the <laughs> conflict. <laughs> as all good stories are. <laughs> well, Victorians, hey? Yeah. <laughs> and it described the conflict between uh, fairies who were at that point considered obsolete. And the fairies were complaining about science and the fact that it was more important than magic. And then science itself, personified, played a few tricks on stage to show its might. Um, one of the tricks consisted in setting fire to a chunk of coal. Okay. So not very impressive, if you ask me, but there you go. And the play ended in a variety of substances being burnt to spectacular effect. So basically, it starts off with this uh, a rather contrived story about uh, <laughs> fairies and gas lamps and all this sort of stuff. And it just devolves into setting things on fire. Yeah. Okay, yeah. nice. Um, shall we remind our listeners that uh, theatres used to burn down all the time? Yeah, in funny Victoria? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder why. Mm. Um, yeah, so there were also demonstrations and lectures uh, in London at the Adelaide Gallery, which was also known as the National Gallery of Practical Science, blending instruction with amusement. <laughs> um, um, so it would put on musical shows with spectacular special effects, which included fun uses of electricity and projections of microscopic organisms. And this is one of my favourite things because I really love tiny things made too big. Yes. Like, in a way that they shouldn't be. I just find that amazing and hilarious and delightful and very poetic. Absolutely true. If we're ever, well, anywhere really, and there's like a giant version of a small thing, like a giant toothbrush or a giant... We saw a giant clothes peg the other day, which was like a, a desk. A sort of oh, a coffee table. And I loved it as well, to be honest. But Eleanor takes particular delight in small things made big. Yes. So the way... Obviously, I looked into how to do this because mm. I want to do this. This was achieved by using something called an oxyhydrogen microscope, uh, which could make a flea as big as an elephant. <laughs> and so the oxyhydrogen part um, refers to the way the light for projection was generated. So basically a projector and the way you made light was by pumping hydrogen and oxygen in this machine that was quite similar to a magic lantern, if you know Again, what that absolutely is. absolutely very, very dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So yes, I will put an image on Instagram so you can amuse yourself. I'm amazed that anyone survived these shows to be able to spread the good word of science. I know! Like, how are the Victorians not all dead? I mean, they are all dead. (laughs) That's true. But, like, how do they manage to reproduce? (laughs) Um, So, the Adelaide Gallery contained hundreds of other machines as well, which sounds absolutely wonderful. Um, They were there for educational purposes, and they included things like gas masks, a steam gun daguerreotype, and the pocket thermometer. Hmm. One year they put on a laughing gas demonstration, which was uh, frowned upon by some commentators. Okay. I'm going to quote from an article that ran at the time. Half a dozen of that class of persons who are not inappropriately termed snobs inhaled the laughing gas and managed to make themselves greater fools than nature perhaps designed them to be. <laughs> Zing. That's quite the burn. Haha. Ha. I just this does this fire theme that keeps going. Indeed. Yeah. So at the same time as Christmas amusements were going on at the Adelaide Gallery, the Royal Institution, that was also in London and still exists, will put on its own fun Christmas tricks. They were famous for, and I quote, abominable smells. <laughs> and the all this explosion. So there would be an explosion here okay. and there. Hmm. John Henry Pepper was a chemist that was truly famous at the time as a popularizer of science. And he would have the whole Royal Institution transformed into a winter wonderland with trees and displays of amazing machines. Dr. Pepper, I checked whether there's, he's got anything to do with the drink, mm-hmm. with the fizzy drink. Sadly not. No. Um, it's very disappointing. Um, so he was also the inventor of Pepper's Ghost, which some people might be familiar with. If you are not, it was a trick used in theatre uh, also, whereby an actor would hide under the stage and their image would be projected on stage thanks to a system of mirrors and a transparent screen. Again, you can find pictures of this. We're going to put one on Instagram, but the result is actually pretty cool. Like, it looks like a ghost on stage, just this very um, phantasmatic presence on stage. That's really cool. A a very early precursor to these hologram tours that you see quite a lot. Yes! Like, he was basically uh, a Victorian two-pack. That's amazing. Mm. Starting from 1825, the Royal Institution would also host Christmas lectures, which were an idea of Michael Faraday, which in this case does have relation to all things Faraday, like the Faraday effect, or... Faraday cage. Very nice. Or I discovered that he also invented a flashlight. Oh. I didn't know that. Um, So, yeah, so it was like electricity guy, one of them. So, yeah, so he was um, a resident researcher at the Royal Institution, and, in fact, his lab is still there. And from what I know, I think it's pretty cool... It sounds like a pretty cool place to go visit if you have a chance. So every year, Faraday would do a series of lectures for Christmas. They became an extremely fashionable event. Even Prince Albert brought his children there to see a talk with the enticing title, The Distinctive Properties of the Common Metals. (laughs) Sounds exciting. The 1860 lecture was called The Chemical History of a Candle. Um, It's also... An iconic lecture. It's a very famous one. 
the full text is available online if you're so inclined. And there is something quite pleasing about it. Um, Faraday explains how the candle is maintained by the structure of the wick, what the wax turns into as the candle becomes shorter and all that. And in order to explain how the candle worked, he would use quite a lot of fun props as well. Mm-hmm. Well, like candles, but also a bit of a special wood whose structure resembles that of a candle wick. Some illustrations. Um, one of the things he does during the lectures is a game of Snapdragon. Okay. Which apparently was quite popular amongst Victorians. Okay. And guess what it Does involved? it involve setting fire to something? Yes, it yeah, is, okay, it sure, is about right. setting fire to something. Um, the something. <laughs> <laughs> they just loved setting yeah. fire to shit, didn't they? Um, so the thing they, they were setting fire to were raisins. Um, so they covered them in brandy, set fire to them, and then you had to try and pick one up and eat it, extinguishing the fire with your mouth. Apparently children played this. <laughs> um, Faraday did it with plums. Right, okay. But it's unclear whether he actually tried to eat one, because that mm. sounds dangerous. It does sound dangerous. So Charles Dickens became fascinated with these lectures and decided to write a short story about them. So he went to Faraday, asked for notes, um, and wrote a piece called The Chemistry of a Candle. Unlike Faraday's lectures, which to be fair sounds quite fun, the short story is incredibly boring. It features a family conversation almost entirely dominated by a young boy who went to see the lecture and drones about candles for what feels like days. (laughs) So to me, by reading it, it reminds me of those reviews of video games that you watch sometimes online. Yes, yes. Like that compare how sharp the image is now compared to two months ago and how you can see the mountains in the distance and all that. Yeah. Uh... (laughs) So at the end... His uncle, in what seems like a desperate attempt to get rid of him, promises to give the boy a galvanic battery for his next birthday. (laughs) I'm surprised the uncle didn't just burn down the house. (laughs) He was playing the long game. (laughs) Um, Dickens wrote a second story about Faraday as well, which is actually a very good story. The main character is moulded on Faraday. The story is called The Haunted Man and the Ghost's Bargain. Um, It's sort of a precursor to A Christmas Carol, but much cooler, in my humble opinion. It's set on Christmas Eve, such as today! Yay! Yay. Um, The main character is called Redlaw. Uh, He's a professor of chemistry who is lonely and full of bad memories. He wishes to forget his terrible past, and in the presence of a ghost who looks a lot like him, has his wish fulfilled. This doesn't help. Actually, he finds himself full of rage and unmotivated resentment. This alienates his friends until, thanks to a lovely lady called Millie, he recognises how bad memories are actually useful and sees the worth of his friendships. This seems like a much more interesting story than A Christmas Carol to me. Do you know what it sounds a lot like? It sounds Mm -hmm. a lot like uh, the plot of The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That is so true. How interesting. I'm going to, after this, uh, this is not interesting for podcast listeners, but I'm going to go on Wikipedia later and find out if it's related. (laughs) (laughs) And all 
also actually this Millie lady does sound like the true first manic pixie dream girl in history. Right, yeah. Of which of which um eternal spotless whatever is a classic example of the manic pixie dream girl. So which I, you yourself can look up on Wikipedia should you wish to, kind listener. <laughs> <laughs> We've got such hot content for you today. Um <laughs> So when this story was staged as a play, the ghost that looks a lot like Redlaw was rendered using a trick that we've talked about today. Pepper's ghost. Yes. Which was kind of nice because they mm. were colleagues. Yeah. And Dr. Pepper. Um, <laughs> it just seems quite lovely. Everyone at the Royal Institution just gathering up for tea and talking about making a play and yeah. things. Eventually, this trend of sciency Christmas slowly became unfashionable. But a lot of Christmas traditions come from that time and are powered by technology available at the time. One fun example is Christmas crackers, which we should probably explain because they do not exist outside of Britain. They don't seem to. No, Christmas crackers, okay. They're like, um, oh, they are very difficult to explain without showing. Uh, they are like a tube of cardboard, which is uh, sort of pinched at two ends. Yeah. And inside is like a, a toy and a joke and a little paper hat. It's a Christmas thing. <laughs> and basically, two people pull from either end and the cracker tears apart and goes bang. And the reason it goes bang is because there's a little strip with a little piece of, believe it or not, gunpowder in it. Very small amount. So it goes like that. And then one person will end up with most of the cracker and therefore they win gaining the rubbish toy, the terrible joke, and the paper hat. Paper hat. Which is my favourite part. And the other one explodes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so they were inventive at this time, actually. Wow. Except instead of gunpowder, there was um, a chemical reaction going in. Oh, right. That sounds suitably dangerous. Even more dangerous. Yeah. Well done, Victorians. <laughs> Keeping with brand Victorian. <laughs> Actually, YouTube somewhat carries out this noble tradition, I discovered. There's quite a lot of science Christmas experiments, which appear to involve cutting up Christmas lights, also very (laughs) safe. Um, Which, by the way, were invented by Thomas Edison. A fun fact for you, because at some point he decided he would adorn his lab with with electric bulbs that he made himself. Mm. Um, So... Fair play, I would say. Or, like, you can stick a sugar cane in different liquids and see how fast it dissolves. Seems good. Sure. There's the odd explosion as well. Very good. That was a reference to mm-hmm. a previous explosion. Yeah, correct. Well done. <laughs> the Royal Institution still carries on with the Christmas lectures, which have been televised since 1966. This year, the series is about secrets and lies, the hidden power of maths, with Dr. Hannah Fry. Very good. I may well watch it, actually. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy watching the Christmas lectures from the Royal Institution. Because they're they're aimed at kids, but you usually end up learning stuff. And at the end, you can go, oh, it's really good that the kids were able to learn all that stuff, which I definitely knew. So what have we learned today? We've learned today that you should have a very Merry Christmas, but try not to burn down everything you own in the process. 
<laughs> Should we do the references? Let's do the references. And now, the references. As usual, we put them on the website, which is www. You don't need that, actually. You can, you can go really? without that bit. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, com. Yeah. Um, so if you want to know more about these science traditions of Christmas in Victorian times, um, by reading better constructed sentences than the one I have just served you up, there's a good article on The Guardian, and there's also a couple of proper historians that have written an excruciating amount of detail <laughs> about this. So I'm going to put that up. Um, obviously, you can look up the Royal Institution website, um, which has a lot of history of the Royal Institution, as well as uh, programs and fun facts about Faraday and whatnot. You can, as I said, you can read the chemical history of um, of a candle. The Yes, the chemical history of a candle you can read online. Um, also, um, a link on is quite delightful. And you can read both stories that I have mentioned. So that's The Chemistry of a Candle by Dickens and some guy called something Lee. No one cares. Um, and The Haunted Man and the Ghost's Bargain by Dickens exclusively. Mm. And that's that. Cool. Well, and the the last thing that we have to say is if you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Spotify. It helps us get the word out to make more of these. Yeah. Yeah. I, I approve <coughs> of this content. <laughs> so you had one more thing that you wanted to share. I found some um, science jokes that I think would go well in your Christmas crackers if you make them yourself. So I'm going to tell you one. Okay. And then I wrote them down and it's like a question and answer thing. Mm -hmm. And I can do the question and you the answer. So. Okay. The first one is, a neutron walked into a bar and asked, how much for a drink? The bartender replied, for you, no charge. Our budget doesn't stretch to an actual sound effect. That's just you may not have noticed, but that was actually me doing that with my yeah, with my voice with my uncanny, mm. um, absolutely uncanny. Okay, this is a Q and A one. Question: How many Heisenbergs does it take to change a light bulb? If you know the number, you don't know where the light bulb is. I'm glad you came in to do that. That's good. Uh, yeah. Question: Why did Bill hate astronomy? He thinks black holes suck. <laughs> Who's Bill? It's uh, unclear. I think he is someone who hates astronomy. Oh, okay. Who is universally known as an astronomy hater. Okay, that makes more sense now. Yeah. Wonder Cupboard. <laughs>